Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, Michael Ian Black. And uh, I did it again. In a few episodes again, I said uh, E-N, Michael E-N Black, as if they were initials. They're not initials. It's just three letters, I-A-N, put all together, Ian. And yet I've fallen into the habit of making my name even more pretentious than it already is. Now, question I get, a common question I get, is why do you have three names professionally? Why did you do that, you pretentious hack? The answer is I didn't want to. I didn't want to have my middle name included in my professional name. But when you join the acting union, there can only be one. Uh, just like in Highlander, there can only be one. And there was already a Michael Black, of course. And so I had to insert my middle name to distinguish myself from the other Michael Black. So hence, Michael Ian Black, or as I am now professionally known, Michael E.N. Black. I'm on my way to Las Vegas in the morning. Uh, It is currently evening time. I'm heading out to play some poker. I'm a recreational, but I would say serious poker player. And I'm joining a friend out there for the World Series of Poker. It is the 50th annual World Series of Poker taking place out there in uh, in the high desert of Las Vegas. I have no idea whether the desert there is high or low, but it sounds cool to say the high desert of Las Vegas. And I'll be playing poker there for several days, attempting to win enough money so that I don't have to rely on this podcast for my considerable income. Because as I'm sure you know, this podcast has provided me with enormous wealth. Enormous. 
just because it's become such a viral sensation. People love it. I mean, literally, God, it's got to be tens of people who listen to this thing. And so the money just keeps flowing in and I just outflow it right to the poker tables. Last time we met, there had been a little, uh, I don't want to call it a switcheroo, but a little bit of a switcheroo. Arabella and Sue have run into each other at an agricultural fair, a different agricultural than the Great Wessex Agricultural Fair that they last met. Sue is selling uh, little architectural gingerbread cookies, a kind of, uh, what do you call that? Well, uh, oh, gee, there's a, there's a word for a des- like a trifle, like an amusing trifle of a dessert. And Jude's been laid up in bed a little bit. He's a little bit sick, a little bit under the weather. Uh, Arabella runs into her there. Arabella dressed in mourning clothes. Her husband, the publican, has up and died. And Arabella has found religion, so she says. Although, if we take the cynical, half-squinted eye point of view of Thomas Hardy, perhaps we can say that she did find religion because Thomas Hardy seems to view all of Christendom with a certain wariness. And Arabella, in her plump plumpery, I'm going to call it, her kind of plump finery, displays all of uh, the cynicism in those who embrace religion. Not, I'm not saying by me, I'm not, not, my, not, not my attitude necessarily, but Thomas Hardy's. And so she's kind of, you know, being supercilious with Sue and asking about the boy and musing that maybe she'll take the boy back and blah, 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 blah. Just being, you know, a real Arabella, just being such an Arabella about the whole thing. And she's there to help lay a foundation stone for a new per, uh, parish church there. And she's making a big to do and blah, blah, blah. I mean, she's just the worst. So that's where we left them. Chapter 8. In the afternoon, Sue and the other people bustling about Kennet Bridge Fair could sing, could sing, Michael, you goof, could hear singing inside the placarded hoarding further down the street. Those who peeped through the opening saw a crowd of persons in broadcloth with hymn books in their hands standing round the excavations for the new chapel walls. Arabella Cartlett and her weeds stood among them. She had a clear, powerful voice, which could be distinctly heard with the rest rising and falling to the tune, her inflated bosom being also seen doing likewise. So Arabella's putting on a little show of her piety, and I I like that she has a clear, strong, and distinctive voice. I like that about her. I like that the, I like that the chick can carry a tune. You know what I mean? That's a nice little character touch about Arabella, something we hadn't learned before. It was two hours later on the same day that Annie and Mrs. Cartlett, having had tea at the Temperance Hotel, started on their return journey across the high and open country which stretches between Kennet Bridge and Alfredston. See, even Hardy likes high country. You know, it just sounds cool. The high country, the high desert, the high and open country. Arabella was in a thoughtful mood, but her thoughts were not of the new chapel as Annie at first surmised. 
No, it's something else, at last, said Arabella sullenly. I came here today, never thinking of anybody but poor Cartlet, or of anything but spreading the gospel by means of this new tabernacle they begun this afternoon. But something has happened to turn my mind another way quite. Annie, I've heard of an again, and I've seen her. Who? I've heard a Jude, and I've seen his wife, and ever since do what I will, and though I sung the hymns with all my strength, I have not been able to help thinking about him, which I've no right to do as a chapel member. Can you fix your mind upon what was said by the London preacher today and try to get rid of your wandering fancies that way? I do, but my wicked heart will ramble off in spite of myself. Well, I know what it is to have a wanton mind of my own, too. If you only knew what I do dream sometimes and nights quite against my wishes, you'd say I had my struggles. Annie, too, had grown rather serious of late, her lover having jilted her. "'What shall I do about it?' urged Arabella morbidly. "'You could take a lock of your late-lost husband's hair "'and have it made into a morning brooch "'and look at it every hour of the day. "'I haven't a morsel, and if I had, would be no good. "'After all it's said about the comforts of this religion, "'I wish I had Jude back again. "'She wishes she had Jude back again. "'What the hell is she talking about? "'Is she just one of these chicks who can't be alone?' You know what I mean? I mean, there's guys like that, too, but it's such a it's such a kind of cliche about certain kinds of women who just like go from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend. And she she wants Jude again. What is she talking about? She hates Jude. Jude's like, you know, he's he's got a stick up his ass and always has. And Arabella, if nothing else, does not have a stick up her ass. Right. She's the one doing the prodding with the stick. She's poking sticks wherever she can find a hole in which to poke them. And to say that she wants Jude, I mean, you know. She'd be miserable. But, you know, she's covetous. And that is Arabella. She's just somebody who wants whatever anybody else has. And so when she saw Jude wandering by on the road all those years ago, she wanted that. When she saw that, uh, you know, Jude was living with Sue and they seemed happy, she wanted that again. Now she's lost her own husband, the publican cartlet. And she's looking around and going, well, now what? And, And her mind alights again on Jude. She, it's not that she wants him. She wants the idea of being wanted by him. In a way, she's similar to Sue, except that Sue has a, has uh, a high and open heart, just like the high and open country there. Um, Sue's heart is a little bit, is much, is much vaster and broader and more open than Arabella's, although, of course, even Sue's heart knows its troubles. I made mango salsa tonight. I don't know if you've never had my mango salsa, but it was all right. It was all right. And look at it every hour of the day. I Oh, and then she said, I haven't had a morsel. I wish I had Jude back again. You must fight valiant against that feeling since he's another's. And I've heard that another good thing for it, when it afflicts voluptuous widows, is to go to your husband's grave in the dusk of evening and stand along while a bowed down. Yeah, that sounds like a good time. You know, you know, for horny. Look, if you if you're a horny widow, what you want to do to cure yourself of that, go to the cemetery, right, with a brooch made out of your dead husband's hair, and stand there uh, in the middle of the night and just bow down. And you know what? That probably would cure it. You know, she's not wrong there. 
Now, I mean, you know, just it's certainly not going to enhance it. Who I know as well as you what I should do, only I don't do it. Well, what should she do? Oh, remember, she's got that little uh, she's got that Spanish fly that we never heard about again. I don't know if if she's going to do something with that or if it's going to work. But, you know, there's a little plot point. They drove in silence along the straight road till they were within the horizon of Mary Green, which lay not far to the left of their route. They came to the junction of the highway and the cross lane leading to that village, whose church tower could be seen athwart the hollow. When they got yet further on and were passing the lonely house in which Arabella and Jude had lived during the first months of their marriage and where the pig killing had taken place, she could control herself no longer. He's more mine than hers, she burst out. What right has she to him, I should like to know? I'd take him from her if I could. Fie, Abby, on your husband only six weeks gone. Pray against it. Be damned if I do feelings or feelings. I won't be a creeping hypocrite any longer, so there. Arabella had hastily drawn from her pocket a bundle of tracts which she had brought with her to distribute at the fair, and of which she had given away several. As she spoke, she flung the whole remainder of the packet into the hedge. I've tried that sort of physic and have failed with it. I must be as I was born. Oh, so she's renouncing religion already? Is that what she's saying? I'm not sure if that's what she's saying. I must be as I was born. I don't know quite what the physic is she's referring to or the brochures that she was handing out were all about, but she was there to lay the foundation for the chapel. So maybe she's ridding herself of it as quickly as she has attained it. Hush, you be excited, dear. Now you come along home quiet and have a cup of tea and don't let us talk about it no more. We won't come out this road again as it leads to where he is because it inflames ye so. You'll be all right again soon. Arabella did calm herself down by degrees, and they crossed the ridgeway. When they began to descend the long, straight hill, they saw plodding in front of them an elderly man of spare stature and thoughtful gait. In his hand he carried a basket, and there was a touch of slovenliness in his attire, together with that indefinable something in his whole appearance, which suggested one who was his own housekeeper, purveyor, confidant, and friend, though through possessing nobody else at all in the world to act in those capacities for him. The remainder of the journey was downhill, and guessing him to be going to Alfredston, they offered him a lift, which he accepted. Arabella looked at him and looked again, till at length she spoke. If I don't mistake, am I talking to Mr. Phillotson? Well, 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 the return of Richard Phillotson, now reduced to vagrancy, apparently wandering the roads of Wessex. What are these two going to talk about? Let's find out after a quick break. And we're back. Arabella has just bumped into good old Phillotson. And here's how he's described. Somebody who is his own housekeeper, purveyor, confidant, and friend. Uh, He's just, he's he's a lonely boy. He's a lonely boy. 
my goodness, what has happened to Phillotson? What depths has he sunk to? The wayfarer faced round and regarded her in turn. Yes, my name is Phillotson, he said, but I don't recognize you, ma'am. I remember you well enough when you used to be schoolmaster out at Mary Green and I one of your scholars. I used to walk up there from Crescombe every day because we had only a mistress down at our place and you taught better. But you wouldn't remember me as I should you, Arabella Don. He shook his head. No, he said politely, I don't recall the name, and I should hardly recognize in your present portly self <laughs> the slim school child, no doubt you were then. Well, I always had plenty of flesh on my bones. However, I'm staying down here with some friends at present. You know, I suppose, who I married? No. Jude Folly, also a scholar of yours, at least a night scholar, from some little time, I think, and known to you afterwards, if I am not mistaken. So, Arabella has seen an opportunity here, and like a viper she strikes, her teeth bared, hissing, as it were. She doesn't know where she's going with this, of course, but she is gaining intelligence. She is reconnoitering. Is that the word? Recona, recona, reconnoitering? You know, when you fly recon, you know, she's getting info. She's just flying her drone over the high and open country there. And she sees Phillotson and she thinks maybe, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's a way to wedge herself into the life of Jude through this man. Let's see what Phillotson responds. Dear me, dear me, said Phillotson, staring out of his stiffness. You, Folly's wife, to be sure he had a wife and he, I understood divorced her, as you did yours, perhaps for better reasons. Indeed. Well, he might have been right in doing it, right for both, for I soon married again, and all went pretty straight till my husband died lately, but you, you were decidedly wrong. No, said Phillotson with sudden testiness. I would rather not talk of this, but I am convinced I did only what was right and just and moral. I have suffered for my act and opinions, but I hold to them, though her loss was a loss to me in more ways than one. You lost your school and good income through her, did you not? I don't care to talk of it. I have recently come back here, to Mary Green, I mean. You're keeping school there again, just as formerly. The pressure of his sadness that would out unsealed him. I am there, he replied, just as formerly, no. Merely on sufferance. It was a last resource, a small thing to return to after my move upwards and my long indulged hopes, a returning to zero with all its humiliations. But it is a refuge. I like the seclusion of the place, and the vicar, having known me before my so called eccentric conduct towards my wife, had ruined my reputation as a schoolmaster. He accepted my services when all other schools were closed against me. However, although I take fifty pounds a year here after taking above two hundred elsewhere, I prefer it to running the risk of having my old domestic experiences raked up against me as I should do if I tried to make a move. Right you are. A contented mind is a continual feast. She has done no better. She's not doing well, you mean? 
I met her by accident at Kennetbridge this very day, and she is anything but thriving. Her husband is ill, and she anxious. You made a fool of a mistake about her, I tell you again, and the harm you did yourself by dirting your own nest serves your right. Excuse in the liberty. <laughs> right? <laughs> you're an asshole. No offense. I mean, but you're a total fool. I mean, you know, excuse me for saying so, but what an idiot you are. No offense. She was innocent, but nonsense. They did not even defend the case. That was because they didn't care to. She was quite innocent of what obtained you your freedom. At the time you obtained it, I saw her just afterwards and proved it to myself completely by talking to her. And what Arabella is saying is, they didn't do it, you dummy. Yeah, she might have loved him, but she wasn't uh, adulterous towards you. And so, you know, you suspected this thing that hadn't transpired. But, you know, what difference does it make really or really at all? She wanted to leave him. Right. She wasn't in love with Phillotson and she was more or less. And I would say more in love with Jude. Phillotson grasped the edge of the spring cart and appeared to be much stressed and worried by the information. Still, she wanted to go, he said, which is exactly what I just said, because look. It's obvious. You know, also, I'm a literary mansplainer. I know what these guys are going to say before they even say it. That's, you know, when we talk about catching lightning in a bottle, when we talk about the success of this podcast, it's because I am able to make obvious points such as that. I think when I am able to discern what is the most superficial from the text, it is that I think, which explains my great success. She wanted to go. Yes, but you shouldn't have let her. That's the only way with these fanciful women that chaw high, innocent or guilty. She'd have come round in time. We all do. Custom does it. It's all the same in the end. However, I think she's fond of her man still, whatever he may be of her. You were too quick about her. I shouldn't have let her go. I should have kept her chained on. (laughs) She literally would have kept her. Like chained, like uh, what's that black snake moan, like to a radiator to prevent her from going because Arabella cannot abide anybody having anything that she herself does not possess. Even if the thing that she possesses wants no part of her, she is a viper. She is coiled around her prey. And now she sees an opportunity through Phillotson to regain Jude. If somehow she can persuade Phillotson to what? Annul the divorce? Is that even such a thing? Or to question its merits? Is that even such a thing? After all these years, if she can somehow force Sue back into the clutches of Phillotson, that lonely, slovenly man then Jude would be free to be hers yet again. Arabella doesn't think these things through in that manner. She just kind of senses it the way a viper does, flicking her tongue out and words fly out of her mouth. And in that way, she finds, she, and, 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 and in doing so, she finds her way. I should have kept her chained on. Her spirit for kicking would have been broke soon enough. There's nothing like bondage and a stone-deaf taskmaster for taming us women. <laughs> uh, bondage, a stone-deaf taskmaster. Oh, that's kind of hot. Besides, you've got the laws on your side. Moses knew. Don't you call to mind what he says? 
Not for the moment, ma'am, I regret to say. Call yourself a schoolmaster. I used to think ought when they read it in church, and I was carrying on a bit. And then she's quoting, Then shall the man be guiltless, but the woman shall bear her iniquity. Damn rough on us women, but we must grin and put up with it. Haw haw. <laughs> it says haw haw. I mean, I guess that's just indicating laughing. I wasn't anticipating it, so I wasn't able to prepare the laughter. However, I like the haw haw and will keep it as it went. Well, she got her desserts now. Yes, said Phillotson, with biting sadness. Cruelty is the law pervading all nature and society, and we can't get out of it if we could. Well, don't you forget to try it next time, old man. <laughs> oh, she's the best. She's the worst and she's the best. You know, she's just like, fuck it, whatever. You know, I, you know, I see something I want to take it. I flick my tongue out. I take it. There's some cookies in that jar. Great. I'll take the whole jar. I'm not going to just take the cookies. I'm taking everything. I'm taking the kitchen too. I'm taking the oven in which they were baked. I'm taking all the ingredients, the flour, the sugar, the salt. I'm taking everything. I cannot answer you, madam. I have never known much of womankind. They had now reached the low levels bordering Alfredston, and passing through the outskirts, approached a mill to which Phillotson said his errand led him. Whereupon they drew up, and he alighted, bidding them good night in a preoccupied mood. So the snake has succeeded in charming the charmer. Uh, not that uh, Phillotson was ever a charmer in particular, but he had a certain devil-may-care attitude about him, you know, a certain well-met fellows, are we? That's not a phrase. Fellows well-met? That's not a phrase. You know what I'm saying. Let's take a break. Back in a minute on Obscure. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, welcome back. Uh, so Arabella, Phillotson, they were just catching up on old times, you know, chewing the fat, trading a little dish. 
And of course, Arabella told Phillotson that Sue is doing just terribly and that it is his duty to tame her. So let's go on. In the meantime, Sue, though remarkably successful in her cake-selling experiment at Kennet Bridge Fair, had lost the temporary brightness which had begun to sit upon her sadness on account of that success. When all her Christminster cakes had been disposed of, she took upon her arm the empty basket and the cloth which had covered the standing she had hired, and giving the other things to the boy, left the street with him. They followed a lane to a distance of half a mile till they met an old woman carrying a child in short clothes and leading a toddler in the other hand. Sue kissed the children and said, "'How is he now?' "'Still better,' returned Mrs. Edlin cheerfully. "'Before you are upstairs again, your husband will be well enough. Don't eat trouble.' They turned and came to some old dun-tiled cottages with gardens and fruit trees. Into one of these they entered by lifting the latch without knocking and were at once in the general living room.' Here they greeted Jude, who was sitting in an armchair, the increased delicacy of his normally delicate features, and the childishly expectant look in his eyes being alone sufficient to show that he had been passing through a severe illness. "'What? You've sold them all,' he said, a gleam of interest lighting up his face." Yes, arcades, gables, east windows, and all. She's just, you know, describing the architectural features of the little cookies that they had made together. She told him the pecuniary results and then hesitated. At last, when they were left alone, she informed him of the unexpected meeting with Arabella and the latter's widowhood. Jude was discomposed. What, is she living here, he said. No, at Alfredston, said Sue. Jude's countenance remained clouded. I thought I had better tell you, she continued, kissing him anxiously. Yes, dear me, Arabella, not in the depths of London, but down here. It is only a little over a dozen miles across the country to Alfredston. What is she doing there? She told him all she knew. She's taken to chapel going, Sue added, and talks accordingly. Well, said Jude, perhaps it is for the best that we have almost decided to move on. I feel much better today and shall be well enough to leave in a week or two. Then Mrs. Edlin can go home again, dear faithful old soul, the only friend we have in the world. Where do you think to go to? Sue asked, a troublousness in her tones. Then Jude confessed what was in his mind. He said it would surprise her, perhaps, after his having resolutely avoided all the old places for so long. But one thing and another had made him think a great deal of Christminster lately, and if she didn't mind, he would like to go back there. Why should they care if they were known? It was oversensitive of them to mind so much. They could go on selling cakes there if he couldn't work. He had no sense of shame at mere poverty, and perhaps he would be as strong as ever soon and able to set up stone cutting for himself there. Why should you care so much for Christminster, she said pensively. Christminster cares nothing for you, poor dear. 
Well, I do, and I can't help it. I love the place, although I know how it hates all men like me. The so-called self-taught, how it scorns our labored acquisitions when it should be the first to respect them, how it sneers at our false quantities and mispronunciations when it should say, I see you want help, my poor friend. Nevertheless, it is the center of the universe to me because of my early dream, and nothing can alter it. Perhaps it will soon wake up and be generous. I pray so. I should like to go back to live there, perhaps to die there. In two or three weeks, I might, I think. It will then be June, and I should like to be there by a particular day. Well, I'm not sure, quite sure what to make of this. Uh... On one hand, like Arabella, it's kind of nice to know um, that Jude's character, for all he has been through, for all he has renounced, for all he has endured, remains the same. He remains that same pensive little boy wanting to learn more. Show me the world. Show me everything the world has to teach me. He's like a sponge absorbing everything. And even though he has renounced religion, and even though he has utterly altered the way he originally looked at academia, at learning, he has retained that child's capacity for new knowledge. I don't know why he thinks Sue would want to go back there. I mean, you know, it kind of sucked for her. She was laboring away at the, you know, the little Christian gift shop, selling her greeting cards and illuminating parchments and doing whatever she was doing. And I don't think it was a very happy time for her. She was lonely. And, and the, 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 um, the atmosphere of Christminster didn't really insert itself into her being in the same way that it did Jude. It didn't saturate her in the same way it did him. I think for her, it's kind of a gloomy place full of all those old stone buildings and, you know, dunderheads walking around in their robes. I don't know why he thinks she would want to go back there. I mean, you know, they've got a couple kids now. Maybe Jude thinks it would be good for, you know, the, the father time, little father time to go and get some book learning there and do whatever little kids do there, running around the cobblestone streets, getting their smarts all up. Hey, Shakespeare, why don't you get your smarts all up? And... I don't know, but I'm not I'm not exactly sure why he wants to go back there other than he's just infected with the place. And I guess that makes a certain kind of sense in the same way that I'm infected with Las Vegas, baby. I got to go. I got to go to that high desert and throw my money down and say win or lose. I'm here to play, baby. I'm here to play. Been looking forward to this trip. You know, just to head out there and while away the hours among strangers sitting around a table, trying to deceive others with the guile of my play. Poker's a funny game like that. The way you win, in essence, is by lying at strategically and telling the truth strategically. It's not like other games. Other games are more honest in their way. You know, when you hit a baseball... There's no deception about it. I mean, the pitcher is trying to deceive the hitter, I guess. There's guile there. And the batter is trying to outwit the pitcher. Yeah, I guess there's guile in every game. I mean, you know, you're trying to take a competitive advantage over another. And poker is no different. But somehow it feels, it feels bad in a way. I don't look. 
it's not going to stop me from playing. And I don't begrudge it when somebody fools me or gets me to, to, to do something I, you know, to lose. I don't know. No, now, God damn it. Now I find myself concluding this episode of Obscure in something of an ethical quandary. And poker has been such a, uh, uh, a longstanding part of my life. And now I'm thinking about it. And I'm going, wait, what am I doing? Why am I doing that? What am I trying to do here? I think of it like golf. You're not trying to, you're not trying to beat the other player so much as you're just trying to play the course. You know, you're just, you're just playing against yourself ultimately. And Jude has been playing himself since he was a little boy. And now he can fool himself no longer. The course has revealed itself to him once more. And it's saying, come back to Christminster. Come back to this place that has treated you so badly. Because perhaps in the future, it will welcome you. Just like Las Vegas is going to welcome me, baby. Uh, uh, uh. Get myself some shrimps, you know? Nothing like them desert shrimps. Everybody loves them desert shrimps. Hmm. Yeah, so I'll be gone for like a week and change because after I go to Vegas, I go to perform at a comedy club there in Bloomington, Indiana. Then I come home. But I am, I am drawn to a place, just like Jude is drawn to a place. I also have a certain amount of revulsion for the place, just as Sue has a certain amount of revulsion for that same place Jude is drawn to. What's going to happen to me? I mean, that's really the question. Yeah, we're wondering about Jude and Sue and Arabella and Phillipson and all the rest of them, and that's important. But ultimately, the more important question is, what's going to happen to me when I go to Vegas? I don't know. I'll keep you updated, though, one way or the other, on the next spine-tingling episode of Obscure. Until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com and be sure to subscribe to Obscure in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you've heard, please write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what you've heard, take it up with Thomas Hardy. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor. If you would like information about sponsoring our show, email hello at midroll.com. From the wilds of Connecticut, I'm Michael Ian Black.